Blog Talk Radio. Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm the founder and the host of, of Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, Lori LeBay. And um, I just want to tell you a little bit, because we always get new listeners, who we are and what we're about before we get into our program. Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations like we do here on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, that we can remove the stigmas and the myths attached to memory loss and really help people who are diagnosed with the disease or living with someone who has the disease, um, help them live with purpose and um, to be still part of a, a society who values them. We believe, again, by having these conversations, we're going to be able to let people understand the true needs of the disease, both for the person and those caring for them. At our core, we know collaboration is the key to winning this battle against dementia. And we know our plan of attack is working, thanks to all of you. You see, your likes, your shares with your Facebook friends, with your Google Circle, with your LinkedIn colleagues, um, your Twitter um, tribe, all of those are so crucial because you are helping spread awareness every time you make one of those clicks. Because so often there are people in our circles that we don't even know are dealing with this because they're embarrassed to talk about it. They're not sure where to go. So the more information we can push out there and have accessible um, to them, the more normal it's going to seem and the easier it's going to be for them to click on a link to get the resources and the support they need. So thank you, thank you very much for your help in terms of spreading the word because we were, um, Alzheimer's Speaks here, had the honor of being named the number one influencer online um, for Alzheimer's, according to ShareCare, which is the world's largest health and wellness website, um, and Dr. Oz. And, and that's just massive. And again, that isn't that isn't us. That is all of us um, making a difference uh, to raise awareness. So thank you so much. Um, who we interview on this show is basically anybody. Um, it's about raising everyone's voice because I, 
you know, after a 30-year journey with my mom's dementia, I know how important it is to hear other people's perspectives. So we um, encourage people with dementia to participate and even to be interviewed on the show, as well as family members, business professionals in the communities, entrepreneurs, developing um, new products, services, and tools uh, to assist us in living better, and um, also advocates um, that are that are making change. There are so many more resources available to us than most of us know about, and that is really one of our goals is to help connect people to those resources. So if you haven't checked out our website, www. Alzheimer'sSpeaks.com. Please go there because we have a blog where we have lots of information um, shared again from all of these voices around the world. We have a resource directory that you can mine information out of, but you can also input your knowledge and your resources in um, into it and share with others as well. We have Dementia Chats, which is the webinar series that we do twice a month, which is free. Anybody can participate. And our experts, our panelists, actually are diagnosed with the disease. And so we get to talk directly to them. Ask, a, ask those questions maybe we can't ask our, our family members or our clients. And today on the show, I would really encourage you to call in and chat with us um, if you've got a question or a comment, we always like to hear from you. And that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. Or you can use the chat box to communicate with us. Now, for those of you that aren't aware, um, this month is National Alzheimer's Month. And I just did a little research, and I was I was really surprised at this. I did not know that Ronald Reagan was the one that set this into place back in 1983. Because back in 1983, um, you know, when I was dealing with this with my own mom, there were very few people even talking about it. So I was kind of shocked. And then it's ironic that Ronald Reagan himself um, had the disease. It's also National Caregivers Month. Um, and today is a special day as well. Um, November 18th is the Alzheimer's Foundation of America's uh, National uh, Memory Screening Month. And they have um, a program called Remember Together. We'll be learning a little bit more about that next week when the CEO of, of the Alzheimer's Foundation is with us. Um, but today you can go to www.remembertogetherafm.com. A dot org, and you'll be able to find all the sites throughout the nation that are holding memory screenings, and those are free. Um, they only take about 10 minutes to do. I was involved with uh, uh, some memory screenings this summer with HealthStar at our Minnesota State Fair, which is, was absolutely fabulous. So again, go to www.rememberTogether.org. A is an apple, F is in Frank, A is an apple dot org, um, and you'll be able to find those locations there. If you're in Minnesota, HealthStar actually and um, Arthur's Residential are holding free memory screenings uh, today between 10 and 3 p.m. at J. Arthur's Coffee Shop at 
2441 Rice Street in Roseville. Um, that's actually where we hold our memory cafe. So we would we would love to see you uh, come out and participate in that. Uh, last I'm going to do is just do a shout out to some organizations that I think are, are very important before I um, introduce our first guest here. Um, the Purple Angel Project, if you're not familiar with that, we want this logo to be as well known as the pink ribbon for breast cancer. And you can go to Alzheimer's Speaks to the About um, page and then just click on the tab that says Purple Angel. You can learn how you can get that. There's no cost uh, to be able to utilize that symbol and to be able to download the information. If you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, I recommend you go to Alzheimer's Disease International. There, not only will you find all the locations of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world, you'll also be able to get great research information and data um, that's very important. Uh, they just did a big study about prevention, and that, again, is, is all available free, free online. There is also the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, um, which takes a more holistic approach. And feel free to go and check that out. They do some amazing work. Again, that's the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. Um, many are dealing with other types of dementia other than Alzheimer's. It might be Lewy body or it might be frontal temporal lobe, or maybe um, someone's having problems with speech, and there, that's called aphasia. And so all three of these have a national organization. So the Lewy Body uh, Dementia Association, the Association for Frontal Temporal Degeneration, and then the National Aphasia Organization have great information and resources that can be helpful for you. Um, Music Connect, I'm just a big believer in music. It was so helpful with my mom. Is usually one of the last parts of the brain to go. And they have music designed specifically that is enhanced to help people engage with Alzheimer's disease. So please check them out. They also have a great new holiday um, CD or MP3 that you can get called Memories, the Songs and Spirits of Christmas. And then if you're looking for activities um puzzle with me has some great puzzles that are designed specifically for people with dementia and adults same with the jiminy wicket which is a croquet game that can be utilized um, intergenerationally um, in a family setting or it can be used between schools and memory care um, but both of those could make uh, all of those could really make great great holiday gifts so again keep keep those all in mind please I am going to um, introduce our guest now. I'm really excited uh, to have Betty uh, Robinson with us. Um, I met her when I was speaking uh, just a little under a month ago out in Pennsylvania, and I was so impressed with her that I asked her asked if she might be interested in coming on our show here. Um, Betty's career has spanned over 41 years working as an RN in acute care, um, home health care, and long-term settings. And over the past eight years, she has worked um, as the gerontology education 
educator at the Aging Institute of UPMC, the Senior Services, and the University of Pittsburgh. And what we're going to be talking about today, I think, is just so important about living safely with this disease. And she's going to give us some absolutely um, fascinating information I think that you'll find and information sheet on on wandering um, which is such an issue you can call it wandering eloping escaping whatever um, but when someone's out of sight it's pretty spooky when you are the one that's caring for them so welcome Betty how are you today I am fantastic thank you Lori and thanks so much for uh, having me on the show well, I, like I said, I was I was so impressed listening to your presentation. I thought, oh, we've got to we've got to help spread the word of of you know this this uh, great knowledge base uh, that that you and your organization are, and the information that you're willing to share with others. And um, that's you know what Alzheimer's Speaks is about is trying to help spread the spread the word there. So before we get started, kind of down that path, can you tell us though? I I always think it's interesting for our listeners. Uh, to know, have you have you been touched um, by um, Alzheimer's disease? You know, with family member or or close friend? Oh, absolutely. Uh, my mother died of Alzheimer's disease back in on Christmas Day in 2000. Uh, she suffered with it for five years, and throughout the process um, and being with her uh, on a day to day basis, uh, she really taught me a lot. Uh, about uh, what her world was like and gave me a lot of insight. Uh, so I use it in a lot of my training, uh, what I learned from her. So, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that personal experience, I mean, you, you can't get better than that. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's it's not guessing, it's not interpreting data, it's just that that raw entity of of practicality um, that that comes in to measure and um, you know you know all those pieces. So um, I appreciate that. Can you tell us, you know, what um, what do you know that could that help people with lessening the probability of somebody wandering? Well, many times this is pretty much a normal behavior that people, uh, you know, with the disease process, they need to get up and move. They need to possibly walk out in the yard. Um, Maybe they're restless for whatever reason. They're looking for something or searching for something from their past or reliving something from their past. So they wander. And many times this behavior is, is pretty normal, but... There are also times uh, when you're dealing with this. Uh, We know that the statistics show that six out of ten individuals with Alzheimer's disease will wander away from home or from a loved one. So, unfortunately, it has a, you know, a, a negative aspect to it, too, that when somebody is showing signs of wandering, there's always that possibility that they can get lost. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's something that we forget about um, in terms of, you know, we don't, a, a lot of times there's kind of a blame game when somebody wanders off and not necessarily thinking that there's truly a, a need there, that there's a mode to the madness behind that. Um, once we once we figure that out, do you think that that helps um, the people 
in the search kind of calm down and, and look differently for the person? Well, definitely. Uh, they, you know, if we if we know what they were looking for or what their purpose was for possibly wandering away from their home. Um, we had a gentleman in my area who had left his home uh, stating that he needed to feed the horses. Even though there were no horses outside, it was something from his um, life prior. But mm-hmm. that all uh, definitely helps them, helps the law enforcement and the search and rescue teams get an idea of where they might start to look. Okay. Okay. Um, Do you have ideas in terms of trying to, um, uh, you know, set up somebody's house um, or environment or even when you go out to kind of prevent somebody from, from wandering off? Do you have some tips regarding that? Well, definitely in within the home, um, trying to make it more secure is beneficial, such as, you know, we had to do uh, this with my mother, is put alarms on the door because mm-hmm. when you're sleeping and if they're up at night uh, and they have a tendency to want to go outside, having that alarm on the door really helps, you know, wake you up. Uh, also making sure that uh, because they have more of a tunnel vision with this disease process, and they have more of a downward gaze because they have to physically move their head downward in many situations to see. Having locks on the upper part of the door is more beneficial and possibly even concealing doors. Maybe if it's a door with a window, uh, concealing that so that they're not seeing outside and not tempted. Um, Okay. You can also make, yes. I I was going to say a lot of times in um, communities, you know, you'll see doors being painted as a bookshelf or something else so people don't know that it's a door, um, you know, by chance it's actually concealed or or scenery people painted into um, so that they don't, so it's not as obvious. Um, and so that, that, that's another thing that communities do. And I have seen it done in a couple of homes as well. I know that there are some sites where you can buy kind of a door cover to make it look like something else, like an applique um, that goes over that as well. And I, I think the idea of having the locks higher works really quite well for most um, because it's just not a normal place to look. Um, you know, for the other interesting thing that I found, Um, is to, and they suggest this, is to place interesting objects near exit, things that you know they would pick up, uh, maybe something they would pick up and put away or something that would distract them. So having Mm -hmm. a basket there or a table there with interesting objects um, is important. Okay. So that's just kind of a distractor then from right. the door, keeping them keeping them busy, which is is wonderful. And I would encourage if we've got um, people on the line that uh, are interested in in making a comment to um, you know please call in at seven one four three six four four seven five seven or utilize our chat box too because I will be reviewing that. I'm just going to pull in. I think Karen Francis is on the line and see if she um, has. Um, any other ideas? Um, she's usually full of knowledge here. Karen, are you with us? I am. Thank you. 
Hi, Karen. I was just wondering if you had any ideas to help kind of prevent, um, you know, people from wandering off in terms of distraction or, you know, whatever it might be. I do. Um, One thing I think that's important to remember this time of year is to move um, clothing racks or hooks near the door where you might put a coat and hat because that's a trigger for them. They see that near the door that might signal on to say, hey, maybe I can go outside and go for a walk. Um, so that's one thing I, I tell people to try to keep in mind, you know, keep the coats and hats away from the door. Um, I know that uh, Betty had mentioned about alarms in the doors. And the one thing that a lot of people that have been in my support groups have been using rather than an alarm, because an alarm can just, cause a little bit more anxiety. They do have alert systems now that you can record your own voice on or use their recorded voice that say the basement door's been opened or the front door's been opened. And it's a little chime, and then it tells you which door has been opened. So Mm -hmm. um, that's something else that's nice to use. And one of the other things I would suggest is to label the doors in the house. You know, label the bathroom door or put you know, just like a picture of a little toilet on it. Um, even sometimes putting stop on a door um, might be helpful. But labeling things, because a lot of times when they're wandering, it's not that they're wanting to leave. It's that they're looking for something. So mm-hmm. I think labeling is a good idea. Wonderful. Uh, Wonderful. Well, thank you, um, Karen. It's always it's it's always nice to hear what our what our audience is um thinking as well, you know, on this topic, because uh, we like we like to engage people. So I appreciate I appreciate your comments. I'm gonna put you on mute for right now, Karen, and I'm gonna go back to Betty. And um Betty, you know, you have this wonderful wandering information sheet that I it, it's I mean it's long and it's thorough, but can you tell people about it? Because I just think think that it is really so valuable <laughs> on so many levels. Um, even though it might take a little bit of time and effort, uh, I think it's just well worth it um, to protect a loved one. So can you talk about can you talk about your wandering information um, sheet oh. with our audience? Sure, sure. Um, the idea here is to have this form completed. Hopefully, you know, they don't cross that bridge where, you know, they're in a position where they have someone lost. But if they do, having all of this information readily available for the search and rescue team is critically important. We all know that when we're under a lot of stress, it's difficult to put all the information together. Plus, it also takes time for those interviews to occur. So having this available, handing it to the search and rescue team, and in this wandering this wandering uh, information uh, series of sheets here. There's the contact information, the physical description of the individual, clothes, and they would write this in at the time, clothing worn when last seen, their physical health, uh, some of their information about their past behaviors, uh, have they had lost incidents before or have they wandered away before. Um, And it really goes in depth, their occupation, hobbies, all of that is included. Their walking habits, too, and what they, you know, their critical wandering patterns. So it's important to have that already and also a recent picture 
Mm-hmm. That way they can just hand it to the search and rescue team. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, we've talked about a lot in our memory cafe is is this whole business about being safe. And, um, you know, our our groups are really very proactive about wearing um, ID bracelets like UBS that this this actually this information could all be downloaded um, into it, which could have basic contact information as well. Um, but same for, um, you know, a caregiver. So they just, you know, they both wear these things and it's accessible at any time. Because sometimes, I mean, even when we fill out this paperwork, then it's like, oh, I have to run home. And if you're at the mall shopping and and you would have an emergency situation, you know, if you wear these um, ID bracelets as partners, you know, as the care partner and the person with dementia and and have this readily available, that would just kind of ease the process a bit too um, to be able to have that. Um, so I, I just really encourage people to um, be very proactive about collecting information and being conscious of what habits are. Because when we fall into crisis, I, you know, a lot of times people's heads just turn to mush and they panic, and they can't think um, clearly in terms of, you know, where might they go and and what was their, you know, what was their history. Part of um, what I liked about this was that it was just so detailed. I mean, it, it gets into their physical health and, you know, it gets into, you know, do they have glasses and dentures and, you know, can they walk independently or do they need assistance? Um, You know, and we don't, um, again, we think that we're going to remember all that stuff, but, you know, I just see people panic and act differently in a crisis. Um, Some are very calm. Some are very upset. Um, some are just so overwhelmed that they really can't communicate. And then another family member comes in who really isn't as familiar. And so this information is, is so critical um, to be able to have um, readily accessible. I've got to imagine that it has to be able to save a lot of time um, if people have this information uh, for for authorities um, when there when there is an emergency. Oh, absolutely. They could just hand it to them, and not only just for the home setting, but if there are family members who take them for an appointment or they should have a copy of it in their car even, or that um, that uh, USB device that you were mentioning, I think mm-hmm. that all family members should have access to it. I know one day my mother wandered away. My brother uh, went into the grocery store and said, you know, just wait here for a minute, Mom. And she got up and started walking down the street. Fortunately, he found her. But you never know uh, where some where they could possibly walk away from you. Mm-hmm. Now, some of this information it looks like um, in the questionnaire, and I, I actually hadn't caught this before. Um, I, I looked it over, um, but there's there's one section Alzheimer's or dementia and Alzheimer's questions, and then it says complete the following questions on the basis of the last two weeks, and so some of this information might not be um, completed all at one time. Some might be completed, um, you know, 
at the time of, of an emergency, or I would imagine that it could be completed and dated so people would know when it was last filled out because there's room for kind of yes, no, or NA. Um, and it gets into, you know, kind of general grooming, you know, can they dress themselves and, um, you know, wash themselves and things like that. Um, can you tell us, you know, what those types of questions are helpful for when it comes uh, to to a search? Well, definitely, you know, having all of this information at hand gives them an idea on how well uh, or how far they may be able to walk. Uh, typically, the individual is located 90% within a mile of their home. Mm-hmm. Um, and they usually go, they always say, what was the point of exit as to uh, how they leave the home? But it definitely gives an idea of how functional they are and uh, gives them a clear view. And also, what they can do, too, is to update this um, sheet uh, when the condition changes so that it's just like the picture. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. individuals use old pictures which are not as helpful as current pictures. So every six months or so or when the condition changes, Updating it is important. Yeah. We have, um, again, in our conversations through our memory cafe, um, we've talked about um, people just trying to take a picture every day once they're once they're dressed and just kind of do a selfie together. And it's kind of a actually a fun activity, and it just kind of builds this, like, living memorial of life together. But then you always have an accurate picture, because I think one of the things that, that people with dementia will tell you, especially as the disease progresses, is even facial expressions can change, you know, the, their look, um, depending on, on, you know, their level of functioning and what type of day they're having, and, and not that that can't change throughout a day, um, but just their affect um, can really change their appearance. Um, if they're if they're smiling and bright eyed versus if they're you know more foggy and withdrawn, um, you know it, it, we all look very very different at times. Or how we decided to brush our hair that day. I know the older I get, the the less I fight trying to make it go the way I want. <laughs> I just kind of get into the way it's going to go that day. So whether um, someone has shaved or not, and um, you know we don't think all that stuff matters, but if you, I mean, even if you test yourself, on, you know, what do you have on today? You know, do you know what color socks you put on or what color shoes or, you know, without looking? I mean, it sounds really silly, but we all get so fast-paced that we don't, I just don't think we pay attention to stuff that we used to um, because our, our minds are so full of of so many different things. Uh, and I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that, Betty? I I think that's true. I think you know everything you know you were talking about there is very true, and um, I think it's you know it's important you know to have information as much information as we can obtain, um, and it should be you know the family member who knows them the the best who is the closest mm-hmm. to that and yep. uh, can really give that insight. Okay. I'm going to just ask Karen if she's got anything else to add. Um, Karen, are you still with us? I am. Um, yeah, I guess a couple things. 
um, and talking about documenting information about your loved one. Um, a lot of first responders, when they go through any kind of search and rescue training, especially for someone that is considered at risk that has memory issues or autism, um, or really any health condition in, in general, first responders are taught to look either on the refrigerator or in the refrigerator for this information. So I always suggest that people put it in an envelope or a plastic sleeve and put it on the refrigerator so they know where to find it to give to the police or the first responders that come to help. Um, and some of the information that I that I ask for, too, when gathering information um, so that it's ready in the unfortunate event that somebody would wander is um, asking which is their dominant hand because if we don't know which direction they want, a person with um, cognitive impairment a lot of times will wander in the direction of their dominant hand if they don't have a, a specific site in their, their view. Um, and then, of course, you, you talked about safe return or um, a program similar to it, which is, is uh, a lot of times in many different areas, the safe return program is even offered at no cost because the Alzheimer's Association many times gets grants to offer the bracelet for both the, the person with the memory impairment and the uh, the caregiver. And I guess the other thing I would I would want to know is, you know, every state is different, but um, like in, in Pennsylvania, we have the missing and injured person alert system that um, is communicated throughout the state to all first responders. It's posted on the turnpike, on the signs along the road. Um, some states call it a silver alert, but to find that information out because you want to make sure that it gets out there as many ways possible that you've somebody has wandered off. Sure. Well, thank you, Karen. I appreciate appreciate that addition. Um, Alva um, in the chat box says uh, her comment was, it's easy to take a snapshot every morning of the person um, once they're dressed. Just make it a habit because you might not remember what they're wearing. And um, it's it's just so easy to do. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money, especially nowadays, you know, with cell phones that can capture that information. Um, so um, I, I think that, that that's very good advice. Thank you. Thank you, Elva and, and Karen. Um, some of the questions, too, on this form I, I find um, are really interesting, too, is, you know, does, does a person know their name? You know, and, and will they know their name, you know, if someone different calls it out? I mean, just it could be the tone of voice um, that is the recognition, not so much the name um, itself. And so some of those things we don't always pay attention to. And and that's a critical, critical thing um, for emergency responders and, and those looking for someone to know um, so that they're so that they're not not overlooked. Um and like I said, this this form is just I, I just think it's absolutely fabulous. Um, you know, what was what was put together here. Um, you know, it, it goes into even um 
you know, emotional changes and, you know, ask if someone gets delusional at all because that can be an issue, um, you know, with this. And, you know, where have they lived? And, and um, you know, because somebody might want to go back um, to an old homestead or, or maybe even where they've worked. Um, Betty, in terms of, in terms of, um, you know, locations where people have lived, I mean, this, uh, this whole form, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like a profile that would be used for, you know, to apprehend a criminal, but it's just using it in a positive way by looking at life experiences and, um, personalities and, you know, wants and needs. Um, would you con- would you consider that um, kind of a, a similar profile profiling experience? I mean, I, it's just so detailed, and I, again, I think it's in a very very positive positive way. I, I never thought of of um, I guess I never really thought of profiling as a whole in terms of the detail and how things are scrutinized and, and looked at and the value of the information that we're all sitting with that we don't always share. Correct. I, I think that, you know, having an understanding of, you know, why they why they were leaving, what what might have prompted them to leave, um, and their past life, you know, the things that they used to do, um, all play a role in this. And um, it's just like the gentleman uh, in my neighborhood who wandered away and was going out to feed the horses. He um, His body was found in a field. Um, and that's you know so their their past life really does come into play and in, in getting an understanding of you know where they might go mm-hmm. cool. which is is so important and that's another thing on this form it talks about what, have there been other incidents of wandering and you know where where did they go and you know how long were they gone for, and you know all of those types of things too, because um, that could be very great information. Now I know mm-hmm. that, um, and I wish Harry was on the line with us, uh, Harry Urban, because he just has wonderful insights. Because I, I know he just he despises kind of the term wandering, and he says, you know, we like to explore. You know, we like to be able to to get around. So I think sometimes the terminology that we use um, for people with with uh, early onset, um, you know, they they find a little bit offensive at times. They, though they totally understand it, um, they just say from their viewpoint, um, you know, they're they're not just wandering off. They have a purpose. They have a place well, to go. You know, they're looking for something. Mm-hmm. And that's true uh, because what the research shows, and a gentleman by the name of Robert Coaster from um, the Virginia Department of Emergency Management um, documents this well in his book, Lost Person Behavior, that um, it is true that they don't, what they find is uh, they don't consider themselves lost. And that's why a lot of times they don't respond when people call their name because they don't see themselves as lost. Mm-hmm. So Which, that's why it is very critical too. Is that you know, uh, and many times because they're possibly experiencing some anxiety as they're you know wandering a field or whatever, uh, they seclude or hide hide from people. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, and it can be scary. I mean, as people, you know, with dementia, you know, as things deteriorate, you know, um, they can go back to kind of a younger state and age of, you know, where, you know, we tell people don't talk to strangers. And so if they're lost and fearful and they hear somebody calling their name, I mean, that could trigger, too, for someone to hide. I mean, you just, right. you don't you don't quite know. Um, and, you know, did they like authority or were they scared of authority? <laughs> that could make a difference if somebody in a uniform is looking for them, um, too, depending on their past and and their trust level and and things and and just the tone of voice and you know is somebody using names that are familiar or not and um you know knowing information about them so yeah it's it's very very um interesting um interesting form and i think just a, a very very valuable um valuable form can you tell people where they can where they can get this uh uh, wandering information sheet, Betty? Absolutely. If they go on um, aging.upmc.com to the mm-hmm. Aging Institute and click on Resources for Caregivers, it is located on the right side of the page and they can download it. Okay, good. And what I will do is I'll I'll go to the blog post too and, and get that particular link um for people and I'll post it in the in the chat box here and we will we will definitely mention that again. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what um what research tells us about locating somebody? Is there even any research, you know, that's been done on this topic? Yes, and this is um Mr. Coaster's um in his book, uh, a lot of research has been done. What it shows is that this in, the individual usually starts off walking around along a roadway, but 66% will depart from that roadway. Mm-hmm. But if they leave the roadway, they do not travel far. Um, they lack the realization of danger. They don't perceive themselves as lost. But believe it or not, they are attracted to wooded areas, water, and if they walk into the woods, they typically do not walk back out of the wooded areas. Uh, like I said, they will hide, not respond right. Also, drainage areas, uh, areas you know, uh, with water, they lack the ability to turn around and go back. Uh, and according to Mr. Coaster, they will walk until they get stuck or they can't walk anymore. And so that's why it's so, so critical. And the average length of time to locate someone once they become lost is nine hours. But like I said, they're usually within a mile from their home. Mm-hmm. Also, it's important that you know the uh, search and rescue will ask for an uh, article of clothing for the scent for the search dogs. So having that available, readily available, um, is important. Uh, one of the nursing homes, what they do once a week is they use the pillowcase, fold it up, and put it in a Ziploc bag and keep it handy out at the front desk in case that happens. But I thought that was a good idea, having uh, the pillowcase um, put aside. So, um, yeah, so all of that, you know, and, and also the fact that, you know, in Pennsylvania here, we're getting into some pretty cold weather over the last few days. They don't necessarily dress for cold weather. 
So it doesn't mm-hmm. take long um, in this kind of weather for uh, serious consequences, you know, to occur because of it. Yeah, and that's so, it's so spooky. I mean, here, I, it just, I mean, I'm outside and my fingers are frostbitten, you know, or, or feeling like they're going to be in such a short period of time. And people mm-hmm. always, you know, wear appropriate clothes when they leave. Um because they they just don't know to do that anymore, and so it is very important if you especially if you live in um areas that can have um you know dangerous weather and I mean that can be you know the heat of the sun too it doesn't have to be the cold of Minnesota um you know with that there's a lot of different variables that can come into come into play, and so being well aware of that is is a good good. Idea now. I know that. Um, let's see. Uh, Karen had made a comment here. Um, she had written me something here. Where was it? She um, was saying that um, you know, for wandering, um, that if if it's a facility or community that somebody lives in, you know, that they can do. Um, besides just locking the doors to a station, um, they can have kind of meandering paths um, or circular paths. You'll see a lot of that. So if if, if you need to place somebody in in a community, sometimes it's, it's nice to look to see, you know, is there a place for people to be able to, to move around? Because that can be critical, too. Some people like to sit, but some people are on the go all the time. And um, you know, so you've got to you've got to let them um, be able to have room to do that. She also mentioned the murals, which we've which we talked about before, and the availability of um, Project Lifesaver. And um, Betty, are you familiar with with Project Lifesaver? I believe you are. Yes, I am. Uh, that is a, a great service that the local police um, departments have. The wandering wand. It's like a wand that they track the signal with. So if your local police department has that service, that's an excellent um, uh, thing to uh, register for. The individual wears a device that can be tracked. Mm -hmm. But also Project Lifesaver has another um, service that they provide, and it's called the PAL, the Personal Locator and Emergency Alert Solution. And it is um, a device that they wear. They cannot remove it. Looks like a watch, and they can. It comes like with a little, almost looks like a little iPhone that mm-hmm. they can be tracked, and the perimeter can be set. And once they walk outside that perimeter, um, it is it notifies it notifies you. So that, to me, you know, the GPS type systems are. So valuable right now. Um, the and plus the other big factor here, as we talked about, um, they're attracted. You know, when they wander away, they are attracted to wooded areas, water. The devices have to be waterproof, and this particular device, this PAL product, is waterproof. And mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, like a spokesman for it or whatever, but I researched a lot of the different devices and uh I know that waterproof is a big factor. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I I agree. I I think that uh, cuz you just you don't know um what's going to happen and it could be weather, it could be a pond, it could be all different types of things. 
Um, right, it you know, be raining or, you know, the dew on the grass or whatever, or in uh, maybe tall grasses that they're in um, mm-hmm. can have a definite factor. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. Can you mention the, the name of the book again um, that was written, the, the Lost Person, was it Lost Person Behavior? Yes, Lost Person Behavior, a search and rescue guide on where to look for land, air, and water. And the gentleman who wrote it is Robert J. Coaster, K-O-E-S-T-E-R. And it talks in this book about all different types of lost person behavior, individuals who become lost out while hiking, where they typically find them. They've done a lot of research on it, as well as individuals with um, Alzheimer's disease. Okay. So, well, that's good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and put that in the in the chat box to Lost Person Behavior by Robert Custer, um, which is, uh, again, great, great information. You know, the more resources we have, the the easier it just is for for all of us to to be able to find somebody sooner. I I had a friend, and I've mentioned this a couple times on the on the radio, where uh, she had a sister who was living in assisted living, and uh, she wandered off, and and it was just a horrible fiasco. Um, in terms of trying to find her and there um it it really made me realize that a lot of police departments do not have um a formal method set up to find somebody and I was out of town and got back in about nine days later, and there still wasn't a press release there weren't signs up it was really up to the family and i mean it was just kind of bizarre and I think it was a month and a half later she showed up. Um, two hours away in a coma in the hospital. And, you know, that was um, late summer, and we still don't know. She's in our rehab right now. Um, still don't know what happened, you know, well, to what her. Is and, what go is ahead. so difficult for the search and rescue and law enforcement is that um, when they go missing, they never follow a logical path. Um, they they walk in a straight line. Um, for the most part, they have this tunnel vision, which is um, you know common with the disease process. And they so they will go through Fields Creek. They'll climb over in obstructions if they can. So it's difficult sometimes to imagine you know uh, where will they go. And and but the straight line. Um, uh, research what they have found with that is is seen over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So, well, and this was a, a community that was you know it was it's very sprawled out. It's more rural, um, but it was it it was uh, there were just so many different places from you know down by large lakes to going more even more rural to to the city to the small town, um, you know, and then there were bus routes and major, you know, major uh, travel routes out, uh, you know, and it was like oh, no one really knew what happened. And so, uh, you know, again, very spooky thing, big eye-opener for me in terms of where the brunt of the responsibility falls when someone does go missing, too. And, you know, how to, you know, how are, how is someone viewed as a vulnerable adult or not? 
um, in terms of how quickly um, they're going to start putting things in place and then how far do they really take it. I, I guess I just never, I, I, you know, I've been through it, and so I had never really thought of the expense involved in terms of a search and rescue um, mission as well, which might sound really dumb on my part, but it's, you know, just not something I thought about because um, I hadn't, hadn't had to deal with it. And um, so it was kind of interesting hearing details in terms of, of cost um, that these missions can take. And, and you know, when there's these big search parties that go out, it, it sounds like primarily um, that's usually coordinated, you know, by the family and not necessarily right. the police. Is that your understanding too, Betty? Right. After, you know, in, in the case of the gentleman that lived in my area, he... Um, after 24 hours, they had to call off the search by law enforcement and search and rescue. And it was a family organizing team um, because, again, it is very costly and a lot, a lot of people are involved. Uh, they do their best job that they can. And um, so, yes, a lot of times it is the family and volunteers that help. And that's why that alert system is so important um, mm-hmm. you know, for Everyone with cell phones, I mean, we get it right over our cell phones, and that is critical. So it alerts you to things going on in your neighborhood that you might possibly want to go out and help with. Okay. Um, now, Elva's asking a, a question. She says, what's the name of the PAL device and the website? Was that part of Project Lifesaver? Yes, it is. Under Project Lifesaver, you'll see it right on the website, uh, P-A-L, and... Um, so yes, it's right there with it, right on the okay. front page. Okay, and there's a, and you probably want to go to Project Lifesaver um, International too. There's a couple of of different ones out there. Um, is is my guess on that, Elva? And if you want to go ahead and put that in the um, uh, in the search search box, well, actually, I've got the I've got the website here. I just found it too. I can uh, I can go ahead and throw that in the chat box here for people to be able to to find because again another another great resource for people to have. Um, Karen, are you still with us? Yes, I am. Okay, I know that you've dealt with um, Project Lifesaver. Um, anything that you want to add about Project Lifesaver or or the PAL system? Um, just with Project Lifesaver, it is uh, the responsibility of local police departments to, you know, take the initiative to um, administer the whole program. And a lot of a lot of areas are concerned about the cost. But I think it's important to point out that there are grants available for um, for the whole system, for the, the locating um, apparatus they need and the training that they need. So a lot of times I don't think cost should be such a, a, a huge thing to overcome because there are grants out there, not just through Project Lifesaver, which does offer grants um, on their website or tells you where to apply for them, but you can look locally for grants as well to help yeah. cover the cost. Yeah, and, and, you know, and the police departments are, you know, they know how to write grants and things too. Um, so working with the city on that, because um, it's not something that you would personally write a grant for, because um, some people don't know right. how grants work, <laughs> but it has to be usually through a nonprofit, not all, but but typically through a nonprofit organization. 
um, to be able to get that to work. And with dementia kind of coming to the forefront now with all states um, developing plans, this would be a, a great, great um, grant uh, to be able to put into place and to, to get a team built on that. The other thing that I wanted to mention was, um, again, on these, this form, again, it's just, it's just filled with wonderful things, but it talks about a person's walking habits. Again, that's something that we normally think about a lot. You know, um, how often do they walk? You know, are, are they able to maneuver? Um, you know, are they okay on uneven ground? All of those types of things. And and then, you know, just stuff to think about in terms of answering your questions. And, you know, wandering patterns. You know, can the person drive um, when they find keys? You know, um, have they been saying where they want to go lately? Um and a lot of times people will say they want to go home, but where is home to them? Uh, a lot of times care partners get frustrated going, you are home, you are home. Well, apparently it's not the home they're thinking of. So we have to we have to think a little bit deeper, um, you know, with all of this stuff. So um, I would highly recommend that you, um, you know, get this information sheet. It's on our blog post. And, um, it's in the chat box. And I'm going to add that link too. I thought I had it, but I guess I didn't on our on our uh, radio page. I will put that on there after the show, um, so it's on that page as well. Uh, with that, I apologize I, that I don't have that there at the at the moment with that. So, um, Betty, did you want to talk any more about GPS systems or tracking systems at all? Well. Uh, two, if you choose something else besides, you know, the Project Lifesaver, make sure um, if it's a, uh, you know, th- utilized through your phone that whatever phone service you have has good coverage for the area that this individual lives in and that mm-hmm. the people who are monitoring it, you know, that it's it's serving your area well. And another point about um, just in general is to make sure that you alert your neighbors and local businesses because, too, you know, giving them, sharing them pictures or letting them know the possibility could be there. Uh, We need to communicate with the folks around us if they would happen to see them uh, to give you a call and to uh, try to intervene in some way. Okay, good. Good advice. Good advice. Karen, anything that you would like to add? I think Betty has covered it in a every way possible. <laughs> she made a great point about the, um, you know, if you're going to use a, a GPS or something that tracks somebody through your phone, she makes a great point about the fact that to make sure you have good coverage, that's one of the reasons why Project Lifesaver is so reliable. They use a radio frequency rather than um, relying on GPS or satellites. Um, so they, that's why they're able to find people so quickly um, because it works a, a bit better in mountainous areas and you really don't have to worry about um, cell phone towers. Yeah, and that, uh, you know, technology is wonderful, you know, to a point. And uh, it, it definitely has its has its pitfalls at times, and so we need to know what those are. Um, and again, I, I, you know, I would recommend if you haven't invested in ID bracelets, 
Um, if that's something engraved, if that it has a, a UBS, more medical information and contact information, you don't want to be putting in social security numbers and, and bank information uh, on that, but you can easily put on medication, contact people, because um, a, emergency um, professionals will be able to plug that into their computers right away and be able to, to find a source. And same for care partners. You know, if something could happen to us and, you know, if we just run out to the store and, and someone is, is able to be a home for a short time, but, you know, if we get in a car accident or if somebody has a stroke um, or a heart attack or whatever it might be or a seizure, um, some type of medical condition, um, somebody needs to know you're caring for somebody and that that they need um they need some comfort you know that they need some coverage um you know with that person as well so don't think that uh, id bracelet and this medical information is just one sided um you know if you're truly working in partnership you both need to be um in my opinion responsible um to one another um to make life as easy as possible with that um alva has just oh. noted that I, that a year ago she looked at project lifesaver and there was only one municipality in the dallas fort worth area um that had that and she's like and we're a community of six million people so this is something that um you know needs to be spread more uh there we need a lot more knowledge you know about the need for these systems um for information like Betty has and she also adds that home can mean some place that they feel safe but they're just un- unable to express it so it might not be you know the exact location that they're at right now um and so again we have to have kind of a broader a broader stance in terms of how we are how we are looking at things um Betty, any any last minute comments that you want to make? I can't believe our hour has flown by already. Well, there's also too there's comfort zone, which is uh, another um, location um, type system administered by the Alzheimer's Association. So that's another thing to check out, and I can send you that link. And one last tip um, that folks can think about too is putting reflective strips on their jackets or on their shoes, uh, things like that, that if search and rescue is shining uh, flashlights in in the dark, they might be able, if the individual is responding, to pick up on uh, reflector strips. Oh, now that's that's good. I was, uh, in fact, I was out the other day and there was a guy walking and we kind of giggled at it, but he had um, a hat on, just like a baseball hat, but it had a, a blinking light on it. And it was great because we sure as heck weren't going to hit him with the car, you know. I mean, but it, it was it was um, and it was really dark out, and he was in dark clothes, and that could have happened, you know, um, without that um, because you know he just blend in and and stuff. So I think yeah, reflective tape and there's a lot of blinky things that you can purchase now to wear um, with items, and you know it it can't yeah. hurt, you know it just can't yeah. hurt. So, wonderful. Um, Betty, what's the best way for people to to get a hold of you? Well, I can give you uh, two numbers. Uh, The first number is for the Aging Institute and the Information and Referral Center. It's 866-430-8800. 
888-646-8742, and that line answers 24 hours a day. My uh, office number, which is also listed on the our website, is 412-864-2092. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for coming out and sharing your, your valuable information with us. It was absolutely um, a fabulous discussion, and um, I hope a lot of people pick up that that PDF on that wandering information sheet. Again, I posted that in the chat box. I posted that on the blog post, and we'll be adding it onto our our radio page as well on there. So, um, again, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. You're most welcome. Glad to be of some service here, so glad to do it. Wonderful. You have a great day, and um, I'm sure we will catch up here in the future. All right. Thanks so much, Laura. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. I am going to uh, go ahead and um, just give some mid-program highlights while I'm still waiting for our next guest to uh, to call in. And, um, you know, our last radio show, we talked about staying mentally healthy when caring. And we were supposed to have the Alzheimer's uh, Disease and Research Center on. They weren't able to make it. But um, we had a great conversation about staying mentally healthy. So go ahead and, and listen to that uh that show, all of our shows here on Alzheimer's Speaks uh, Radio are archived, so you can you can listen to them anytime. Next week, we are going to be having the authors of Remember, I Can't Remember, and uh, which is just a great book, I think, filled with tips, um, <clears throat> which will be a good conversation. Plus, we are going to have the, the CEO and, and from the Alzheimer's Foundation of America. He's going to be talking about the Remember Together program. He'll also be able to give us, I would imagine, uh, more information about today's memory screening, because Again, it is the National Memory Screening Day, and you can go to, um, again, the Alzheimer's Foundation of America um, site to get information on locations close to you, Um, or you can go to www.rememberTogetherAFA.org. Again, that's RememberTogetherAFA.org. And um, if you're here in Minnesota, in my neck of the woods, um, at J. Arthur's Coffee Shop on 2441 Rice Street in Roseville, they are doing free memory screenings from 10 to 3 a.m. And that is with um, Health Star Home Health and um, Arthur's Residential Care at J. Arthur's Coffee Shop. So. Um, I was amazed, again, when we were out at the state fair, you know, the numbers of people that got screened. Um, Over 2,200 people uh, went through the screening. And then we also had um, uh, over 14,000 people, you know, that we we talked with. So it was uh, a pretty, pretty impressive impressive showing of interest from the community. Our last Dementia Chats um, was a hot topic with the news of Robin Williams' suicide might have been associated with Lewy body diagnosis. So we talked about that, and we talked about, um, you know, did his dementia have an impact on his decision? You know, what were people's thoughts, and what would others do? in that case. And um I, I think if you watch it you'll 
you'll be pretty interested in the conversation because our our panelists we had um we had two kind of four um someone being able to take their life um if the disease progressed too far and we had two that said they didn't feel that that was the way um no matter what your belief is i think it'll get you thinking about this disease and the impact that it has and the impact that we have on those with the disease. Um, Our next Dementia Chats will be on the 24th, and again, those are all free. That'll start at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the 24th, 2 Central, 1 Mountain Standard, and uh, Noon Pacific Time. Um, As far as the blog, we had a note from Norms on the Purple Angel. It had its first anniversary, um, the 16th of this month, which was pretty exciting. It started out with about 50 ambassadors, and there's over 200 international ambassadors um, for the Purple Angel. The movement is really picking up steam. And again, if you would like more information, you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com and go to our About tab and then click on the Purple Angel. And we would love to uh, love to see you uh, help get that symbol out. Uh, we've talked about National Screening Day. Um, there's information on the site there. Um, there's a new video called Facing the Future with Dementia that I posted on the 14th. And that is a video, once again, uh, about Greg O'Brien, who is the author of a book called On Pluto. And he's a, a, a journalist and uh, or was a journalist I should say and he um he is now diagnosed and for the last few years he has kind of been um journaling his journey and sharing that with others so um it's a very touching video one that I think is important for people to watch i'm going to go ahead and introduce our next guest here um we have with us uh, on the show for our second half, Andreas uh, Florsland, and he is the founder of Smart Stones, makers of Smart, Tones, Smart Stones Touch, which is the world's first wearable communication device for nonverbal communication. So we'll have to have him explain that. Um, it's amongst a small mobile group specifically designed um, for parents and caregivers worldwide um, to help them mobilize care and support in an emergency situation or just dealing with daily reminders. Um, it, it's really quite flexible. And it also helps to maintain an emotional bond um, with loved ones while people are caring, which is uh, absolutely wonderful and can provide encouragement throughout the day. Um, Andreas is really passionate about improving life by supplying simple products and services which will improve quality of life. So welcome, Andreas. How are you today? Good morning, Lori. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm doing great. Well, good, good. Now, where are you located again? You're in warm weather, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> That's right. Um, I hope it warms up where you are right now. Um, we're <laughs> in. We're in. <laughs> we're in the central coast area of California, just about an hour north of Los Angeles. Uh, it's a small community called Santa Barbara. Okay, wonderful. Well, I'm heading out to Palm Springs in another oh, week and a half, two weeks, uh, for about a week, so I'm excited 
I'm hoping it'll be warm when I get there, but I, it's going to be warmer than here, no doubt. So <laughs> that'll so that'll be nice. That'll be really nice. Well, I, you know, first let's talk because I, again, I always like to pose this question to everybody who joins us. Um, have Have you been personally touched with anybody in your family or a friend with dementia at all? Oh my, yes, Lori, I have. Uh, actually, the inspiration uh, for Smartstones is a bit of a long time coming. Uh, I'm 40 years old now. Uh, when I was 15 years old, my father was diagnosed with dementia. Uh, I was an only child, so my mom and I didn't quite know exactly how to manage it or to provide care. Uh, as it started to progress as a 15-year-old, I started to have to take on more of the role and responsibility as the head of household. Um, so I learned very early what it was like to take care of someone um, and not really sign up for the job, right? Just being sort of thrust upon this situation, you have to really learn and adapt, uh, and you can't really outsource it. <laughs> you have to really mm-hmm. take it on. Um, so my father actually passed quite a few years later, uh, maybe about six years later, uh, when I had uh, graduated from college, uh, and he had, uh, his dream was to see me graduate university because he didn't, uh, and he just missed it. By a couple of months, uh-huh. so um, that's so hard, you know. But it's his life, you know, and it's and it's interesting to see how people maneuver through this disease once they're touched by it, and what people go on to do. I just I find it just fascinating because I, and I, maybe it's just because I'm part of it, um, you know that I that I find it so extremely fascinating um in terms of what people do but it it's just i i i just don't hear about that many people going in to make change with other things that uh, you know are um that they're touched by in their life and so i i find it really interesting the numbers of people and again maybe it's just my my ignorance and this is just my space and so i i hear about more of it um, than not, but um, I appreciate you know your efforts in terms of in terms of trying to make a difference. So why don't you tell us um, you know what exactly inspired you um, to create smart stones, and and what exactly is a smart stone? How does it work? Sure, sure. Um, Well, just about two years ago, uh, in 2012, my mom came to visit with us uh, here in California for her 70th birthday. Uh, When she arrived, she wasn't feeling well, and it turned out that she had pneumonia, and uh, she had to actually be uh, admitted into the ICU while she was here visiting. Uh, And it turned out that it was nearly fatal. Uh, It was so aggressive, it took over both lungs, uh, caused septic shock, uh, and kidney failure, and it was a very, very stressful event for me. Uh, I was sort of thrown back into the caregiving role all of a sudden. Um, and during that time that she was in the ICU, uh, she couldn't speak. She was intubated, so she had a breathing machine pretty much uh, breathing for her. Uh, and uh, she was uh, sedated on occasion, but then also uh, um, uh, tied her arms were tied so that she wouldn't uh, when she'd come out of sedation she wouldn't uh, remove the cables and intubation and things like that so um, it was a fairly stressful situation for her but when she was uh, conscious 
she could actually um, she could communicate with me through her eyes and through touch, but she couldn't speak. So the idea really came to me that what if I could simply create a device that she could hold in the palm of her hand, that she could touch very gently with simple swipe taps, uh, or possibly just tap it against the side of the bed rail, and each of those different gestures could be a simple way to send me a message uh, to my smartphone. So when I was not there, uh, she would be able to let me know that everything's okay, or if she's scared, or if she needs me to come right away. Um, mm-hmm. You have to understand that you know I I have, have a busy life, uh, or I you know I was working in a technology company here at the time. Uh, a fairly large one, um, and I managed a very large international team uh, in India and in the U.S. and in Europe. And so as a busy professional, as a head of household with my own family, and then also having to care for my mom as she's going through this major event, um, I just really thought, wow, how powerful could it be to be able to be in touch with someone when they're going through something uh, of a transformation or a change event? whether it's, you know, separation anxiety or a major health event uh, or something like cancer recovery, where people really just need to feel that they have support or that the people that are supporting them are really close with them, especially when they're not in a condition where they could use their smartphone or they could send text messages. You know, she, there's mm-hmm. no way that she could have used uh, text messaging. There's no way that she could have used a smartphone in that environment or in her situation. And what we realize is that that, situation was kind of uh, an inspiration and it was kind of an extreme case. But if you think about Alzheimer's or other types of conditions where people find technology too complicated, right? They find using smartphones, uh, albeit they're very powerful and nice, they're still too complicated. And in an emergency, it takes many taps and you have to think a lot about, uh, say, opening up a phone, unlocking it, finding your chat application, typing out a message, and waiting for it to send and get back to you. So I wanted to cut all of that complexity out and make the ease of connecting with people as simple as just tapping and swiping a little object. Okay. Well, that... That makes a, a lot of sense. Where are you? Where are you at with the with the process of this? Um, in terms of you know, can people get this product now, or is it in development? Or yeah, thanks. Um, it's in development. We've been working on it for about a year, so we're pre-production. So we're ready to go into manufacturing. Uh, what we're going to be doing very soon is we're going to uh, make a an early set of these products available to individuals who want to try them out before we go to mass uh, production. Uh, And we have a website set up, excuse me, we have a website set up right now where people can go and enter their email address and sign up to be notified uh, when we're ready to launch uh, our, what we're calling a pre-order campaign. So they can order it in advance uh, and be the first one to get them. Okay. Well, that's ex- that's exciting for yeah, people to and they be able can, to be in on the ground level. Yeah, it's really exciting. And and you had said something really interesting, Lori, um, just around people. There aren't enough entrepreneurs that are taking personal situations and really inventing new things, especially in this category, um, or 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 in this in this area. 
Uh, and it, it's quite a it's quite a big problem. Dementia care and Alzheimer's is it's a very big sort of scope, uh, and it's not just an American condition; it's international, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But what we found is that uh, a lot of people have great ideas, but it's mostly about execution, you know. Um, and I think if people can find more and more people can find other good people that can help them execute their ideas you'll start to see more and more change start to happen. So as an example, um, one of the things that's really helpful for us, we're uh, working with a number of other uh, allied partners and and companies that um, are in the caregiving space. So we're in discussions to see, can we uh, make these smart stones available for people uh, through their communities? So can Mm -hmm. we make them available through... Uh, facilities uh, or independent living or assisted living facilities? Um, Can we make them available through hospice care facilities so that people can have easier access uh, to getting their hands on them, you know, and using them in in the real world? Um, So we're actively looking for distribution partners right now uh, to partner with, which is um, very exciting. Um, And, again, we're very close to getting ready for manufacture. Uh, The smart stones will be available mid next year, so in the summer of 2015, uh, and we're hoping to launch our pre-order campaign coming up uh, here during the holidays uh, to give a sense of how many people really are interested in getting some of these things. So um, the beauty is that you can, uh, for less than the price of a single smartwatch, like an Apple watch or a Samsung watch, which are hundreds of dollars for a single device, we're going to make these available in simple packs of say, a two-pack of smart stones so you can communicate Mm -hmm. with a loved one. We're also going to make them available in five packs so you can literally give them to everyone in your family, including a caregiver, children, uh, an elder, or a spouse. Um, And a simple five-pack will cost less than a single smartwatch. So you can really see the benefit of being able to have everyone in communication. Uh, Mm And... And what's also exciting um, that we're hearing is, you know, in, in the, what we're hearing through meeting with people and sharing our products with them is uh, we ask them questions about what are the solutions that they have right now for um, staying in touch or in case there's an emergency. And a lot of people, uh, you know, they think about uh, the Lifeline products or the Life Alert wearable products. Um, but the challenge with those, uh, one of which is one of the things that we learned. I used to work at Philips uh, prior to starting this company. <clears throat> and one of the things that I learned is that a lot of the, the, the calls that come into the call centers uh, actually aren't emergency. It's from mm-hmm. people who are just simply lonely and they want to talk to someone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that we're trying to address here isn't just the emergency. It's really the day-to-day communication to have people feel connected and comforted and safe. So that idea of being connected with, you know, one other person or four or five or nine other people uh, that are in your social network, if you will, um, having that daily contact is really, really beneficial. It lifts people's spirits. It makes them feel like they're connected. Uh, and it really, you know, uh, we believe or I believe that, you know, when you have a lot of positivity in your environment, 
you tend to thrive and live longer and live better. If you become lonely and isolated, things really spiral downhill. And so that's really what we're hoping to do is really change the, the perception of what a device can do, right? These life alert cards really carry a bit of stigma. For people who are healthy or in transition or at the early stages of dementia, many people don't see themselves as candidates for these types of devices because they carry a negative stigma, uh, it's a stigma yeah. of weakness. And, and we think that's garbage. We think that's a terrible idea. You shouldn't have to wear something that makes you feel weak. You should wear something that makes you feel really powerful and connected and loved. And so that's really what we're trying to do is design something that's beautiful and it's high tech, but the technology is really hidden away. You don't see the technology mm-hmm. at all so that you really can focus more on those relationships and on that connectivity. Yeah, and that that just makes so much sense. And this isn't um, just for a person with dementia. And I would imagine, um, you know, given you know the the skills somebody needs to be able to interpret this, this is something that would need to be utilized sooner than later. So it's not going to work for somebody in mid to late stage. Um, really, more if it was used, if it was started with someone with mild cognitive impairment, or even prior to that. Um, you know, because it's not just for people with dementia. I believe you, you're testing this with uh, autistic um, children and things as well. Is that correct? That's right, Lori. Yeah, it it really is something that is good for anyone who has a relationship with someone, a caregiver, uh, and a care recipient. Um, and sometimes it's it's very uh, lightweight. It doesn't require a lot of heavy caregiving, but it's a nice relationship a way to kind of enhance their relationship and their connection. Um, and mm-hmm. with regards to the autism um, use, uh, we're working with some organizations that provide uh, products and services for um, families that have autism in, in their family. <clears throat> and uh, both in the professional caregiving uh, space as well as the in-home family caregiving. Uh, and one of the things that's very uh, appealing for for those uh, for the for the families in, that are providing care for children with autism, is really helping to do two things. One is addressing wandering. The wandering is a is a real concern for autism. If you if you've read about uh, autism, uh, there's quite a few incidents where children uh, with autism they just run, they run and mm-hmm. they run away, and it's very difficult to find them, especially if they're nonverbal. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's even been incidents of children being uh, hit by cars because they've run into intersections and didn't they you know they weren't uh, intercepted early enough right um, mm-hmm. so the wandering piece is really important for us to address so our our smart stones they come with a free application that you can download on your iPhone or iPad uh, and it provides you the ability to locate them. So if you say, for instance, uh, order a five-pack of smart stones, uh, you'll be able to give one to each of the people you care about. And uh, essentially, once they're all in possession of those people, you can open up the app and locate them on a map. Right? You can not just locate them, but you can actually send them a message to their smart stone, uh, whether it be a reminder or a simple check-in. You can literally push a button and send a message to an individual and say, how are you? And from mm-hmm. their stone, they can respond, good or bad, 
and they can actually say really good or really bad um, just mm-hmm. simply through a touch. It's really exciting. So the ability to schedule um, automatic reminders for people mm-hmm. that need a little bit of a, a nudge in the morning to don't forget to take your medication or it's time for dinner, come home. Uh, these are types of things that are fairly basic uh, and easily easy to communicate through things that don't require um, speaking. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so what we're finding is that there's a lot of similarity between some of the situations that families with autism have with families with dementia care and aging. Okay. Now, Elva, in the chat books, a box uh, said she just looked you up, Smart Stones, on the website, and she said she's very involved with advocating for universal design principles in residential constructions in her city in Arlington, Texas, which is a population of 365,000. Um, she says the Smart Stones um, website says that they support the universal design principles. Can you elaborate on universal design principles and, and how you're working with that? That's a really great question. Yes, yeah, so uh, one of the things regarding most consumer electronics and devices have to do with screen readers and being able to translate uh, text in a way that makes it easier for people to read. Well, well, our products don't require people to read at all. Um, it really, as long as you can wear this in your pocket or on your body, uh, they, the communication comes through light and vibration. So as an example, if it buzzes twice, if it vibrates twice, and it lights up with a red light, depending on what you set that up to mean, it could mean come to dinner or it could mean take your medicine. So... It, it's very accessible in the sense that you don't need to read things. Um, it's also accessible um, just because it's intuitive for people to use uh, in a more tactile way. So as an example, we've been working with uh, the Braille Institute, which is a university for visually impaired, uh, and we've been doing early concept testing with them on what are the types of gestures that are very intuitive. And when I mean gestures, gestures are things that we call, you can hand motions, you can shake the device in a certain way, up, down, left, right, vigorously versus a light tap or a swipe. And they're actually giving us really, really wonderful input and ideas for how to to send and receive messages. Uh, What we've also learned is that the blind are using accessibility features on their smartphones in very interesting ways. So a lot of the capability, as an example, that a smartphone has for people with visual impairment, uh, they don't need a big rectangular device. They don't need, because they don't need to see the icon. So there are some other ways that we can design the software on the stone so that people can use it without requiring the need for looking at things. I hope that helps. Yeah, I, I think I think that does. Um, I, I think that answers that very very well. So um, I appreciate uh, the additional additional information on that because um, you know it's always nice to know how how things are put together and why. Um, it just uh, makes a lot of a lot of sense. Um, and Alva, if you have any other questions, you know, please go ahead and, and type those in. We also have a caller um, from the Pennsylvania area, 
um, on a 9998 number. And I don't know if you have a question or not that you want to ask or a comment you want to make, but please feel free to push one, and I would be more than glad to call you into the conversation. Some people just call in listening um, through, uh, through the phone, and so I don't want to embarrass anybody either. But if you are interested in talking and you're um and you're listening by phone just push one and then i'll know that uh that you have a question or or comment that you would like to like to ask uh, our guest and participate in the conversation um can you tell us um you know some examples of how the smart stone would be used how how would somebody use that for communicating um can you give us a couple of examples sure sure so um you know one example uh in a, there well there's two kind of examples one's a professional uh caregiving example okay so you might have an organization such as hospice care or an assisted living facility where you have professional caregivers who are mm-hmm. coming and going. So a professional caregiver can simply download the app onto their phone uh, mm-hmm. and order a handful of stones. Uh, and basically for whoever they're providing care for, including the families of the care recipients, they can give these stones to them to use. And it's a great way for a professional caregiver to, as an example, uh, schedule automatic reminders for them to say, you know, this isn't something that you just do remotely, right? It's something mm-hmm. that assists and augments the, the real experience of, of being there with people. So if you can imagine a caregiver sitting down with a care recipient and saying, here's your smart stone. Um, I'm going to schedule some reminders for you because you're forgetful about taking your meds or you haven't gotten out of the house for your daily walk today. Um, so let's come up with a, a way to do that. And so they would discuss that with the care recipient and say, okay, great. When your stone vibrates and lights up with this color, it means take your heart medication. Right? Mm-hmm. If it vibrates in a different pattern, and has a, it also has sound chirps and sound files. Um, so if it makes a certain sound, uh, it's a reminder for you to go for your walk. So those are things you can do that help. Uh, the care recipient be more successful in managing their day-to-day routine. Um, And then in the case of uh, other events where the care professional caregiver, uh, what we found is that quite a bit of time is spent on the caregiver side, uh, Mm -hmm. driving, driving to and from and picking up and dropping people off. Um, And there's a lot of um, unknowns around that. Uh, especially for folks who don't have cell phones or, or don't like to use those. So um, what we're finding is that it even helps with uh, arranging the pickup and drop-off experience. So as an example, when the caregiver gets close by, within a couple hundred feet of wherever the care recipient is, the care recipient's stone will light up and notify them that the caregiver is close by. Okay. Which yeah. is that's wonderful, you know. And I'm just thinking that this would be a great thing to even use with teenagers and and uh, kids who are embarrassed and don't want their their friends to know they're communicating with their parents. <laughs> 
um, there's there's yeah. lots of lots of different ways that that uh, this could be used, and um, yeah. it's simple. And it's and it's it looks like you know from what you showed me, it's nice and small. Can you describe the size of the stone? Yes, yes. The stone is about the size of uh, it's a little bit larger than a fifty cent piece. Um, so or uh, it's, it's a couple inches, about two inches by two inches, um, and it's about a half an inch deep. So it's a fairly small stone. It fits clean, very small in the palm of your hand, much like a regular river stone. So like a regular stone you might pick up on the beach or, or on a hike. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really, yeah, it's, it's very simple. It looks very natural, but it doesn't look like a technology device at all. Um, and we also have... Uh, some wearable accessories that you can you can put it into. So we have a, a beautiful leather uh, wristband that it can slide into. Uh, we also have a beautiful uh, necklace frame that you can snap it into uh, and wear it long or short. Uh, and it all we have uh, sterling silver and gold plate uh, necklace frames. Um, so it's it's quite a fashionable item. Um, and uh, but what you were talking about earlier, which is really neat. Um, uh, it, it is good for anyone, um, and, and what we've heard from a lot of empty nesters is, and, and kids going from high school into college, is there's a, a lot of anxiety around uh, that separation and that change, right? It's a very big life change for them, and a lot of empty nesters are thinking, this would be really nice um, to use with my kids who are going to college, because you know how, I don't know who, who's on the, on the call, but, you know, when, when your kids go to college, you know, Quickly, it becomes, uh, you know, difficult to hear. How are you? Are you alive? Are you okay? You know, just mm-hmm. simply touch the stone to let me know everything's all right. You know, yeah. Uh, so, so just little simple things like that mean a lot to everyone, right? So just having a private, connected way to to, to just touch base with each other is, is a really. Um, we've also found that girls, uh, especially uh, college girls who are going out, or or anyone that goes out. Uh, on the town and goes out to bars or clubs and things, they like to have a discreet way of staying connected. So just for their own safety and security. We've heard from universities that they would like to use smart stones as well um, mm-hmm. to help make sure that people have a very discreet way of uh, letting people know if there's a situation that they're uncomfortable about. Um, so there's a lot of interesting uses for it. Um, but where the most uh, interest is for us where we're interested, we're, we're really trying to help improve the quality of life for, for people. So that's why we're, we're, we're finding out how we can make it really valuable and useful for, for people who are providing care. Because I, I personally know the stress and anxiety that comes along with, with caregiving, and I really want to make the lives of caregivers that much better. Because a, a lot of folks that are in caregiving, they, they do it because they love the person they're taking care of, and they're not getting paid for it. And it's roughly $450 billion uh, a year in lost income in America. So there's an economic impact to try and make the daily lives of people who are unpaid caregivers a little bit better. If they can get an extra hour back in their day uh, or be happier during the course of providing care, it really can make Mm -hmm. a big difference to the economy too. Yeah, I I agree. And I think, you know, the, the sooner that we can implement people getting used to um, communication devices like this, the easier it will be to be able to use, um, you know, as a, an illness or something crops up, if it's dementia or or something else. 
Um, and the nonverbal aspect of it is is really nice. And it's, um, you know, you had shown me that with a stone, you can, it, you know, it lights up from like red to green and you can just slide your finger over the stone to say, you know, if you're more anxious or if you're happy, depending on the, the, the question that is posed. Um, and you know, and the shake that somebody receives and stuff, and so it's it's pretty neat, um, you know. Or if they're in trouble, you know, they can just shake it, and the person on the other end will receive that, you know, the signal, you know, kind of this smoke signal that hey, something's wrong. Um, have you considered or looked into adding some kind of GPS to this, or would it just get too big and clunky like most of them that are out there? Uh, we are looking into GPS, and we're also looking into a completely cellular version that's just all by itself, so you don't need mm-hmm. to have another cell phone for it to work with. Um, and it's 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 actually, we're able to do it. Um, just on the manufacturing side, it's, it's going to cost us a bit more money uh, and a bit more mm-hmm. time to produce it. Um, but it's a really, uh, that's one of the things that we want to look into uh, in our pre-order campaign. So if people go to our website and sign up, uh, to join our mailing list, be notified. That website mm-hmm. is join, J-O-I-N, dot smartstone, with an S, dot co. That's dot C-O, uh, join dot smartstone dot co. And if folks go on there and they sign up, they'll be able to get emails from us that we're, we'll involve them and start to ask questions. We're a very open company. So we, we really want to get as much feedback from people as we can because it's, it's really important to us to make this a meaningful uh, product for people. So if having a standalone cellular version of this where they don't need a, uh, to have it uh, work with their cell phone is important, mm-hmm. um, we'd love to know that. Um, that would really be helpful for us. Okay. Well, that's great. I will um, also put that into um our chat box here so people have that she uh elvis said wow she just learned from the smart stones website that architects um in in the dementia village outside of amsterdam are doing a u.s version so i didn't know that either and she found that on your site so that's very cool that's very cool whereabouts are they doing that in the in the u.s do you know that's uh i believe that's going to be in san luis obispo uh, which is the central coast, uh, just about an hour north of where we are. <laughs> so it's a, Very yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, and what's really interesting, we've, uh, through the organization we've been in discussion with here in California called the Tri-County Regional Center, um, they uh-huh. provide products and services for people with disabilities. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's about 21 of those regional centers across the state of California. Um, uh-huh. They help support about 14,000 homes uh, or families here in the Tri-County area, which includes San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and Ventura County, where we are. Um, and uh, they are working on a housing concept, which is uh, a sort of a more sensitive home. So if you think about home design, uh, home design is uh, sort of built on sort of rigid structures and things like this. and if you think about the security systems uh, or the safety systems that are in place in homes uh, that have been used in the past uh, for caregiving, um, they're sort of designed and based on the prison system, you know, mm-hmm. some you know, antiquated systems of, you know, you approach a door and it locks, 
right? You, you open a window and a siren goes off. And, and there is definitely a, a time and a place for that kind of, you know, system. Um, uh-huh. But they want to use, uh, they want to look at uh, potentially using smart systems for uh, helping to give a little bit uh, more, uh, flex, you know, more trust for the people that are in the space, to give them more latitude to travel and, and uh, to, to, to walk around and to roam because there's something really wonderful and human uh, for getting around and exploring, right, and, mm-hmm. and feeling and, get, and providing trust. Uh, also being able to have uh, other products in these smart homes or these sensitive homes, like uh, you might have heard of this uh, thermostat called Nest. Uh, it's a smart learning thermostat or these other types of Internet-connected uh, smoke detectors and all these other things. So we're right at the beginning of this wave of sort mm-hmm. of technology that's kind of disappearing. It's like the, the objects around us in our world are going to get smarter, um, mm-hmm. and they're going to start to adapt to us. So you're going to start to see changes in the way homes are designed and appliances are designed so that you don't have to think or work so hard to make things happen and things can kind of respond to you. So as as you maybe approach your home, all of a sudden your lights come on and your coffee pot fires up and, you know, the heater kicks on, um, you know, and, and so they want to look at the use of smart stones in this futuristic world of, uh, a, a home that can sense and respond to the human being. And so that's a fairly mm-hmm. exciting thing for us because we believe that, you know, technology should kind of disappear. It's not that technology is not complex, but we want that complexity to go away. And we want mm-hmm. the world around us to feel more magical, right? You know, to, yep. to let people live and, wow, just have, just have a wow experience. Um, and that's really, I think, the more wow experience, the more childlike experiences you have, especially when you're getting older, the better. Um, you know, so it's that sparkle in the eyes that you, you want to keep seeing as we get older. Yep. Wonderful. Well, very, very exciting. Um, I, you know, I, I thank you for your your time and your innovation and, and your persistence in terms of just you know, because this is—it's not an easy process to develop something new and, um, you know, groundbreaking in terms of of any type of project. But then you you know, make it with technology, and it becomes even more complicated. Um, trying to get people to understand it and fund it and and move it forward. And I just think it's it sounds um, very very interesting um, and something that we should all. I'll be watching out for um, that's for sure. So, okay, you want to give us uh, information again on how people can uh, can purchase these and how they can. How, um, well, I'll just let you go from there. Yeah, yeah. So, so the the best way for people to to find out more or or be able to purchase SmartStones, uh, our first product, which is going to be called SmartStone Touch. Um, the mm-hmm. easiest way to find us is just to go to Google and search for the word smart stones, plural, uh, touch, smart stones touch. And we'll show up in the first one or two spots, and you can just click the link, and that'll take you right to our website. And then you can, on our website, you just enter in your email address, and it'll, it'll add you to our mailing list. And then once you're on our mailing list, we'll let you know when they're going to be available. So uh, we're going to make them available for sale direct directly through us. Uh, we're mm-hmm. also going to be on Amazon.com. Uh, once the products are ready, uh, and so you know, you're going to be able to find an easy way to to order these things, um, to order Smartstone Touch. Um, yeah. 
So, uh, okay. yeah, just go to Google, look up Smartstones Touch, um, and you can find us there. Uh, our website address, if you want to go directly to it, is join.smartstones.co. Okay, and no M, no dot .com, just C-O on there. So <laughs> it, yeah. we kind of get into that set pattern of of how we do things. So we just want to make sure that that people know it is just a, a C-O and that that wasn't a, an error when you were speaking. Um, no yeah. M at the end there. So oh, wonderful. And I, did, boy, I, did, mm-hmm. I did want to make a mention, too. Um, if anybody has any questions at all, please feel free to contact us. Um, we're happy to answer any questions. We we really thrive on the community and, uh, you know, are happy to respond quickly to, to anybody who has any technical questions or, or any other interest. Um, there are some questions we have had that I wanted to maybe share uh, were around where does it work? Um, and basically it will work anywhere. So, uh, we are going to be making it available so that you can use it in pretty much any country in the world. Uh, and so they will also be able to connect and communicate with anyone in the world. So as an example, if somebody, uh, you know, if their parents or their loved one might be uh, one or two states away, um, mm-hmm. they can still use it. Uh, or if they happen to live in the same city, it works that way too. If they live in the same home, it works even better. Okay. So do, what is the distance that these can go? Uh, as long as your smart stone is within two to 300 feet of uh, a phone or a tablet that has our app running on it. Um, so okay. as an example, if you have a, a tablet sitting at home and you just have the app on it, um, mm-hmm. it'll it'll work within a couple hundred yards or excuse me a couple hundred feet of uh of the home uh and if you happen to want to go walking down the street or go in a car ride and you happen to take a phone with you, just make sure the mm-hmm. app is, is downloaded onto your phone and it'll work anywhere you can be driving okay. uh, down route you can go down route sixty six in your car and have this working with you uh in your car while you're driving totally works anywhere okay okay, okay, wonderful. Well, good to know. Anything else we should know before we let you go? Uh, just how much I appreciate you, and and, and thanks for for uh, inviting us onto the show, Lori. This has been a real treat, and and uh, you know, again, anybody who wants to reach out and and let us know what they think of it, we're we're all ears. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, Andreas. This is a a really interesting concept, again, called Smart Stones, uh, which has an S on it, dot C-O, smartstones.co. Go check out more information there. And, um, yeah, you'll have to please keep us posted as you as you make progress. We'd love to get an update from you and be able to pass that on uh, to our audience here on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. Wonderful, Lori. I absolutely will do that. Okay, thank you. You have a you have a great week. Okay. And you too. Okay. Bye bye. Bye now. 
So, well, how interesting is that? I just love uh, entrepreneurs and and uh, innovation. You know, just taking things uh, a, a different route. Uh, again, I think it's absolutely wonderful. Please note that you can go ahead and share this episode um, with your friends on Facebook, your Google Circles, your LinkedIn groups. Um, we have wonderful information and resources have been added to the page for the wandering information, um, as well as the twenty four seven. Uh, contact with the Aging Institute that um, Betty gave us and um, you know check out uh, Smart Stones again see what you think get on their mailing list so that you are up to par on what things are next week's show again we are going to have the authors on remember I can't remember and we will also have the CEO of the Alzheimer's Foundation of America with us so looking forward uh, to next week um, we will also on the 24th have our dementia chats uh, session so that is a webinar series where we interview uh, people with dementia, and we would love you to be part of that. Um, and I am just going to play one of our songs off uh, the Christmas album from Alzheimer's uh, Music Connect, and I think I'll play the little drummer boy today. Come they told me, pa bum A newborn king to see, pa rum pa bum pa. Our finest gifts we bring, pa rum pa bum pa. To lay before the king, pa rum pa bum pa. From Alzheimer's Speaks, have a blessed week and the holidays are upon us. Take care. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.